Hey everybody, my name is Jen Hatmaker and you are listening to the For the Love podcast. This week we are continuing on in our Flipping the Script series where we are diving into what progressive Christianity looks like in 2021 and how we are all capable of learning and growing in our faith and beliefs with the help of activist, singer, and author, Melinda Hale. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your very happy hostess of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. So you guys, right now we are in a series called For the Love of Flipping the Script. Whoa, we have put together a lineup in this series. So when the podcast team and I were noodling the idea for this flipping the script series, I think I was realizing that not only am I inspired by people that just haul off and do something totally new, like they leave their accounting job to open a balloon shop, right? I I love that. I love that kind of risk. I love dreamers. I'm long on the record as being a person behind the flip the script types. But I'm also inspired by people who flip the script by reevaluating and even changing like a long held way of thinking that impacts ultimately maybe their whole worldview. I'm inspired by that. I see that script flip as powerful and challenging and important. I mean, you guys have heard me talk ad nauseum about my own faith, how it has been tested, how it has evolved, how it has grown, how it has developed into what it is today. And I think for so many of us, what we grew up, like believing kind of what we were handed, the version of faith, if we were handed a version of faith, what we were taught for most of us has morphed and changed with the present world that we live in as it should. By the way, that's not a bad thing. First of all, I'm sorry for all the racket outside. That is just how it's going to be today. (laughs) I've got a hundred things going on in my backyard today. So I'm sorry in advance for all the tools and things that you were hearing. Okay. Anyway, just, it's not like I can't hear that. I just have the capacity to tune it out. I want to just remind you that Jesus gave us this like awesome story about wineskins. And the point of it was that faith is supposed to flex. It is the container in which we hold our faith flexes with every generation. That's good. It's meant to, it's meant to, because the world changes and what matters changes and injustice it continues to show itself and we have to address it in new ways. And so there's nothing wrong with that, but we've been taught that there's something wrong with that. That growth and change inside faith is suspect and that it is not faithfulness, but faithlessness, right? So I'm just telling you, I believe that God is in the here and now and that it is not just okay, but good for our faith to go through this process. I know for me, allowing, giving myself permission to re-examine what I understand about God, what I understand about people, what I think faith looks like actively in the world or what I think it should look like, who is my neighbor. And then even in the granular space, like sexual identity, of course, and how we are formed and how we are made and what does love mean and what does commitment mean? And what does God have to say about injustice? What would God have to say about Black Lives Matter? All of that has turned me into a person who is kinder, who is wiser, who is a better neighbor, who is more humble. I'm not more certain of my tenets. I'm more humble in understanding God and his work in the world. And it's from my vantage point, at least (laughs) created a lot of good fruit a lot of good fruit in my life and in my family and in some of yours. And so thank goodness for it. Thank goodness for their permission to flip the script when we need to, when it is appropriate and necessary, even inside our faith, inside of our churches, inside of our spiritual communities. So obviously for 
Well, forever, honestly, if you had ears to hear, this has been going on forever, but certainly in a more centralized way over the last few years, there's been a ton of conversations around social justice, of course, and that is everything. It's broad. That's from racism to inclusion, to equal rights for all people, including women, including people of color, including the LGBTQ community and and everyone, everyone in between who might be marginalized in some way. So traditional Christianity, if you will, evangelical spaces struggle with these conversations. They do. They struggle with these conversations, in my view. And certain versions of Christianity do not hold a place for some of those groups to be viewed, treated, honored, and elevated equally. I mean, even in the eyes of God. Some very oppressive things have been perpetrated in the name of religion since the first church opened its doors thousands of years ago. And so my question that I always want to be using my space for, how can we flip the script here and reimagine how our faith aligns with what is arguably one of the Bible's biggest callouts, which is love your neighbor as yourself? right? We really value conversations that point us to the notion that our faith doesn't have to be defined by history. It doesn't have to be small and narrow. It doesn't have to be understood in the exact way that it was understood 2000 years ago in a completely different world, in a completely different context, right? It can flex. It has a fresh wineskin to contain it in our generation, in our time, because that is the way that God designed it. Right. So because of all that, I'm really honored and glad. I'm really excited to introduce you to her too, to be talking today about all of this with Melinda Hale. So Melinda is making huge waves in culture with the way that she intertwines her faith with justice and social activism and inclusion. Melinda is a, she's a singer songwriter. She's an actress. She's an entrepreneur. She's an activist. She's a podcast host. She has used her voice and her social platform to create change within the realms of social justice and female empowerment and LGBTQ rights and veganism and the Black Lives Matter movement. She's, as mentioned, the host of her own podcast called We Need to Talk. And it focuses on really crucial political and cultural and religious trends. You can see why I invited her today. And through each episode, Melinda drives home the idea that, and she says this at one point in our discussion, everything begins with a conversation. Her work also focuses on dismantling the negative perceptions toward Black people held by many, many still in America. And today I am so thrilled that she is here to talk through her own personal faith journey, why it is important to have difficult conversations around these ideas with the people closest to us, and how growing in our faith creates ultimately a more welcoming and safe and accepting and beautiful world for everyone. And if that isn't what we are put here to do, then I don't know what is. So she's delightful. Audio listeners, you may want to pop over to the YouTube channel so you can watch us talk. Every podcast interview is also videoed and we upload it on the YouTube channel because sometimes there's just no substitute for body language and facial expressions and just seeing two people because we're looking at each other the whole time that we are talking. And you may want to pop over and watch this one because it's so dynamic. Absolutely delighted to share my conversation with the wonderful Melinda Hale. Melinda, I am really like so happy to meet you. So happy to be looking at your face (laughs) on my screen. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really grateful for your time. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to chat with you today. Can you real quick before we sort of get into today's interview, can you can you talk to my listeners a little bit about who you are, kind of the the general arc of of your story and where you are and who are your people and just kind of touch down on, on Melinda Hale for everybody listening. 
Absolutely. So I am a singer songwriter. That was my first main profession. I was born and raised in Santa Barbara, grew up in the church and in musical theater growing up. I, I went to Azusa Pacific University, which is a Christian college in Southern California. I majored in opera, minored in musical theater. After college, I always knew I wanted to be a singer that like since I saw Whitney Houston sing the national anthem like that was just I knew I wanted to do that. Sure. So after college, I started doing live band performances around LA. And then I was like, I want to move to New York. And I wanted to have just a different change of pace. My parents, of course, were freaking out because I was very young. I went to college at 16 and graduated at 20. So when I went to college, it was so embarrassing. I still had to have like them sign permission slips for me to be able to like go off campus. I know it was terrible. So when I was 21, about to be 22, I was like, I want to move to New York. I want to change a pace. I just want to see what I can do out there. So I went out there and I always loved musical theater. I didn't think it was going to be my main career, but that's just kind of what I enjoyed doing. Got my equity card within three months and uh, ended up doing some regional theater. I met my now husband. When I came back home to LA, he ended up going to to University of Chicago for law school. So I ended up packing up from New York, moving to Chicago. That's a huge departure. Huge departure. You do things for love, right? But I will say that it was a testament to my faith in, in that moment because I moved to a city that I knew nothing about. I had nobody there. And now Chicago is my second home. And it taught me how to be a self-starter, but also to just trust, which was a hard thing for me and also to kind of just let go of control. So after he graduated Chicago, we moved back to LA and I've just been doing, you know, performing and I really got into doing a lot of social justice and activism in, in the last few years. It has been huge for me. And that's kind of, I still always will do music. That's my, my bread and butter in my heart. But I think where we are in the world having important conversations has been something that I've been really passionate about. So that's why I started my podcast, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. But yeah, that's kind of me to scope. I'm, I'm, I'm an artist, musician by trade, but I love getting into those needed conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have a real scrumptious little baby. Oh, yeah. I am. I am a, a new mom. I have a pandemic uh, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was born last year in March. So she yeah, is gosh months now and yes she is i'm scrumptious Mm. i I eat her cheeks daily no joke i really really you can't not you can't not (laughs) i don't know how you're ever gonna deny her a thing but it's hard she's a doll baby wow you had her at the very beginning of the pandemic very beginning it was actually two weeks after the the stay-at-home order so we were just home (laughs) with her which honestly i do view as a blessing because normal circumstances we actually wouldn't have been together as a family that totally And so being with her for the whole first year of her life, and my parents live around the corner is actually why we bought the house that we did, because I was like, I knew we were going to need help. They've been able to see her this whole time. So it's been it's been great. I actually think it's it's been a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it worked a whole year together yeah. into your timeline. No, of course, you would have not had that at all. Mm-mm, You'd have been late mm-mm. nights hustling a baby around. Of course you would have. Sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that is a little silver lining. Awesome. Okay. So this particular series in the show is called Flipping the Script and I'm talking I really wanted to talk to people who took either an idea, a value, a subculture, a career path. I mean, that any number of things and flipped it over, Mm -hmm. flipped it on its head, decided to reimagine it, decided to reconsider it or reevaluate it. And I'm really happy to have you here today, Melinda, because I came up obviously also through a faith space. That's my primary Mm -hmm. avenue to my work. And in the public eye, over the course of years, I have flipped the script on my own faith, Mm -hmm. which is for better or for worse to do that in such a public way as you understand. So right now my community is full of primarily women who are asking hard questions of faith. Most of us I don't know if I can say most of us, I don't know. A lot of us grew up in some sort of a a faith construct. And of course that's varied, but we were handed something into the families we were born into. So I wonder before we get into some of, some of the things I want to ask you, if you could talk about your personal kind of your faith 
story? What, yeah. what were you handed? What did you grow up in? Mm-hmm. Where are you now? What does that look like? What has that looked like for you? And what sort of work have you had to do just to get to where you are today, knowing that neither one of us are in our final landing spot, right? When it comes to more anything, but faith included, but where you are today. For sure. So yeah, as I mentioned, I grew up in church. I grew up in the AME church, which is African Methodist Episcopal. And to be honest, I, <laughs> being a kid in church, you don't really know anything or really know. Of course, you, just that church Jesus, is long. Jesus is, yeah, and Jesus is the answer to everything. That's, Jesus. that's what you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say I was very, very lucky to, my, my dad wasn't really a church person. He would go for like Easter, Christmas. He was, you know, one of those people. But my mom was very much a spiritual person. But I will say that being raised by her specifically in the church, I was very lucky to have her allow questioning and allow critical thinking. And she was always actually pretty progressive. I would say that when my faith started to get challenged and when I started asking those big questions myself was when I went to Azusa Pacific University. Because for me, I had never been surrounded by that demographic of of faith believers you know i i which was for people who don't know which was non-denominational but very conservative sure and i largely white predominantly white absolutely i mean i would say yeah i mean i would say probably the percentage of ap was maybe if i'm being generous 80 20 maybe you know so Going into, I had never heard contemporary Christian music before. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that sure. was different for me. I grew up oh, with yeah. gospel music. That's all I knew. Oh, yeah. You, you got know? dropped into evangelicalism. I did. Yeah. I did. And my family has always been Democrats. I was put into, I was the little blue dot in a red you Sure seat. were. <laughs> And mm-hmm. yeah, so it was yeah. it was an experience. And the reason I wanted to go to APU was because for me, my faith was very simple. And I was like, I love God. I believe in what Jesus taught me. They have a great music program. Like this feels right, you know? But I I joke with people and say I went in pretty liberal and I came out super, super liberal. Because yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't know I, which I, way that was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I was I was very shocked by the lack of critical thinking, the lack of questioning, and also just the blind faith the you know why is why are you so stuck in this why do you believe this why are you condemning this community this so on and so forth right i mean i remember one specific incident it was during the bush when people were it was bush and i think john Kerry. i think Mm -hmm. oh yeah and there was one other girl at the school that was was that i knew was a democrat and she wore her john Kerry pin and she walked into chapel and they started booing her I kid you not. I know. I believe I, I know. Like, and I looked around and I was like, I don't get this. Like, how is this of God? How are we calling ourselves Christians? How are you getting upset? Because that is her personal choice. That is her personal freedom, which that community talks about often. But when it's opposite of what you believe, it's not okay. So when I got out of APU and I really started seeing what it was, because when you're in those moments, even just from a being a liberal standpoint, but also being a black woman, I I say, you know, you kind of get in this frozen position where you don't really know how to respond and you just kind of take it, you know, and I didn't allow my voice to be heard. I don't feel like I stood up for myself very much in how I felt. And looking back, there are so many things that I wish I had said, but I, I can say there are a lot of people that I know now that were also at APU that were very conservative that have also flipped the script in their life. And they're very progressive and liberal. And so I think, if anything, my views didn't really change. I think that they evolved in understanding the Bible and understanding what Jesus said and understanding uh, views on LGBT community, understanding like pro-choice and, and abortion and all of that. But I, I think I have been lucky that because of the woman that I had for my mother, that I was always exposed to just loving people and that was just what i had always been taught and so when i saw people not doing that or making that their first choice it confused me Mm. it's so interesting just to hear you talk about it because it just seems on its face that that would have and should have always been just the crux 
of faith for any of us that if we're just reading it right, that this idea of loving people first really should be the Christian calling card. And it's so bewildering that it's the opposite. As you're mentioning, I can understand that you sat in that chapel hearing those boos just perplexed that that just probably felt I grew up in the conservative space. So that's my native tongue. I went to Oklahoma Baptist university, which was just like your school. Mm. It was just a carbon copy of it, just in a different state. And so I know exactly the environment that you found yourself weirdly enmeshed in. It's so disorienting for those of us who grew up in that rigid faith space, which was at least at the time, of course, now we know it's all up for grabs, but at the time it was couched in morality. And so it was this sense of right and wrong. And it was with this undercurrent of just being obedient and being faithful. And so for me, I was always afraid to Well, I didn't know we were allowed to question any of that. I didn't know. I was older. I was a grown person before I developed critical thinking skills and gave myself permission to ask hard questions of the faith system I grew up in. But I just didn't want to be wrong. Like that, the idea of being wrong was so like pounded into our heads growing up and God was super scary. And so if you are wrong, you just don't want to be on the wrong side of God because God was weird. You know what I mean? God was arbitrary, super punitive, of course, and quick to anger. And so that was just the God that I understood. And so what I want to ask you, having not had to find your way out of that quagmire, when it comes to challenging those kind of traditional conservative beliefs, which are, you know, ubiquitous, we see these right now, like wreaking havoc. How do you at this point in your life, you're grown, you're mature, you have a, you have experience behind you now and, and just wisdom of being alive longer. How do you start those conversations when you do, when you are across from somebody who is still, because they think they're right and they don't want to be wrong, holding beliefs that cause great harm to people? It's, what do you do? It's, it's difficult. And You know, I was reminded actually right before uh, we started our conversation of this James Baldwin quote that said, I always thought that people should love the Lord thy God with all their heart because they loved him and not because they were afraid of going to hell. And God, that quote kind of encompasses that whole mindset because a lot of people live their faith journey in fear as opposed to living their faith journey the way that Christ lived his, you know? And so when I have those conversations with people, I just say, you know, why are you spending most of your time, one, telling people that if they don't believe what you believe, they're going to go to hell, instead of that we're Christians by our love? That right there is what it should be. You're just supposed to love people. And it it is hard. It is hard to kind of, you know, pull back a veil with people that are so set in their ways because it kind of is brainwashing. I'm not going to lie. It is, you know. And so to to kind of deconstruct that and break that down, it takes time and it takes years. But I, I ask people, you know, for example, we can look at the pandemic. I had so many conservative Christian, you know, friends, past friends, people wouldn't wear masks. It's okay. God's got me. Right. How does that fall into loving thy neighbor and putting your personal freedoms aside for somebody else's life? What about that is is Christian to not want to protect another human being? How is that Christian? And of course, the funny thing is, is that because with social media, everybody has two thumbs and and an opinion. Sure. (laughs) So they can also just go away and and not have the conversation anymore. And that's often what happened with me when I'd meet people with kindness and try to, you know, ask them those questions like, how is this Christian? What would Jesus do? Literally, what would he do? Think that he wouldn't wear a mask? Would he not try to protect somebody? They just go away. So (laughs) it's hard to have those conversations with some people. But some people have been perceptive, excuse me. But I, I just wish people would figure out empathy a little easier. And for some reason, And for a lot of people in the, and I'm not going to say all because I don't want to overgeneralize, but a lot of people in the conservative Christian space, empathy just isn't something that is easy for them to come by. And I think it also is rooted in a place of privilege because when you 
are supposed to help people that are marginalized, but you yourself have never actually been marginalized. It's like you don't really know how to to show that compassion, to show that love, even though you know you're supposed to do it. So it, it's difficult and it's something that I, I'm dealing with every day because I don't believe in like excommunicating people that don't see the world the way that I do or don't share the beliefs I do. I want to have those conversations. I am that type of person that will have those difficult conversations with people often because I think it's important. Everything starts with a conversation. If we just start blocking people or not talking, we're never gonna get anywhere, right? But some people, it's very hard to just kind of cut through the fat with them because they're so stuck in these beliefs and they don't want to hear any other version of the truth. They don't want to hear any version of the truth. What are you finding? First of all, I commend you because those conversations are laborious. They take a lot out. Mm-hmm. They, they, there's a cost to them, to you. Mm-hmm. It costs you something mm-hmm. because you could do what the majority of people do, which is just silo up. You could, there's plenty of like-minded people and those could be your people. And you could not have to do any of this. You could just leave it for somebody else to do the emotional labor of connection and evolution and building empathy and understanding. And so first of all, I just recognize that. I recognize that wading into white spaces, wading into conservative spaces is hard. It's a real labor and you've committed to it and you're doing a beautiful job of it. What have you found? Because you've got a lot of practice at this point. It's kind of a nebulous question, but what are you finding can begin to thaw some of the freeze? Is it an approach? Is it something in the listening dynamic? Is it the environment in which you choose to have this conversation with another person? I guess I'm asking what's working? What's working to build a bridge? That's a great question. It's, it's really taking the approach of focusing on them. And one question that I've simply asked is, what do you want? What is it that you want? And some people have been taken back by that because I think people are always ready to fight, to be honest. They're always ready to be combative and, and just, you know, be those, you know, computer warriors on social media. But you ask them, what is it that you want? And, and, and you break it down that way. It's like, okay, well, what do you think these people want? Do you see why they're hurting? Because if you want this, let's think about what they want as well. And then figure out how to come to some sort of common ground, but everybody wants something. So I think when you can get to the heart of the person, no matter how mean or whatever they have been to you, try to get to the heart of the person and figure out what it is that they want. And then you can take the conversation from there. And that's how I've tried to kind of help people grow empathy because I'm being empathetic to them. So I think when they realize that now it hasn't worked with everybody, you sure, have to of course. different, right? Right. But sure. in the success that I've had in some conversations, it's really just focusing on them and showing them that I'm being selfless because that's what we're called to be and in listening to them and, and showing them love and compassion and grace. And grace is a huge thing. You know, people always tell me, God, you have so much grace for people, so much grace for people. It's like, because I would want people to have grace for me. And, and that's what we're supposed to do. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? So that's what you ask. What do you want? Okay, so then let's go to these people want. If you want this, shouldn't you be doing that for them as well? And sometimes it works. Like I said, sometimes it doesn't. But I it, love that approach. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That, that props a door open and creates just a little bit of room where it's not, you're not just like loading the gun to reply and rebut, but rather to, and what's interesting, I have, I asked similar question is that in so many cases, whatever this other group is that this person is either afraid of or doesn't understand or is creating an enemy out of, they actually want the same things. They want safety. They want dignity. They want opportunity. We take care of their family. We're the same. It's the same. We want the same things. And so it just, that naturally creates some pavement to stand on together. And I find that an incredibly wise approach and to do it, we just have to set aside our own instinct to prove which I have in spades. I want to prove and I want to defend. And sometimes I just want to fight. And so it's a maturity Mm -hmm. that is able to set that aside because what do we want? What do we want? 
what do we want at the end of this conversation? Is it just to be right? Or is it to create something new? Thank you for that answer. Our bodies are our homes. And I don't know about you, but there were many years, too many years, where I was not taking good care of my home. I was not speaking to her kindly or treating her with respect or admiring her for all that she has done and is still doing for me. I had to make an internal shift, lots of internal shifts, really, to slowly turn the tide of that narrative. Part of my shift included incorporating Noom. Noom makes an just an easier pathway forward to caring for ourselves and building better lifestyle habits, like in food choices and daily movements that celebrate our bodies rather than punishing them. When I'm intentional about using Noom, I find that I have more energy. I feel healthier. I just show up better for my family and friends. And that's another great thing about Noom too. They are super supportive in this whole process. They use a psychology-based approach to help shift mindset. Noom customizes a program for you based on your personal goals. It fits into your life on your terms. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, there are no grueling early mornings or weird diets or huge chunks out of your day that you have to dedicate because let's be real, none of that is sustainable. It isn't. I think that's one of the many reasons why Noom sees such impressive success with 80% of Noom users finishing the program and over 60% sticking with their goals for at least a year. So start building better habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash for the love. So that's N-O-O-M dot com slash for the love. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life, talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Gin Hatmaker Book Club. And I want you to join today because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, we'll dive into a fantastic book and we read all kinds of stuff, fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved. And I just know you will too. After you sign up every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats. Plus, your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions. Plus, you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members. And there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. I'm curious, because you have a lot of fascinating conversations with plenty of fascinating people, both in and out of your ideologies, you know, in and out of your experience and perspective. What are you finding to be the conversations, the issues that are rubbing the hardest right now? Like the ones that create the most amount of friction. There's the most amount of misunderstanding and misinformation baked inside of it. The the biggest mountains to climb, if you will. Anything surrounding social justice has been a big conversation and has been the one that causes the most friction. And I think it comes down to just misunderstanding and not having conversations. I did another interview with a 
couple that is based in, I think, Nashville. Very, they're very conservative. Um, they're Christians as well. And defund the police was brought up. And, you know, he was saying, the host was saying that, you know, well, you know, we think about, you know, if the cops are scared every day in their jobs and you know so if they're pulling over someone you know an african-american person the african-american person is scared just as much as the black as the as the cop and i said but you have to think which fear is rational because if the cop is afraid of the black person just because they're black that's not a rational fear and i said but also what does defund the police mean to you and he's like, well, they just want to take, they want to take away money from the police. And I said, that's not what it is. And I said, I will be the first person to say, I hate that phrase. I hate the slogan it, coming from a marketing and branding standpoint. It sucks. Okay. I missed the mark. And I will, I am the first person to say that because I, I think unfortunately where we are in the world, people aren't going to do the research to find no, out. No, no, no. It's just a volatile word and it sets people off. 100%. And I said, did you know that defund the police? And I said, well, let me give you an example. And I said, let's say there is uh, someone that's having a, a, a mental breakdown. They have a mental disability. They're becoming very volatile. They, somebody calls the police, calls 911, right? Do you think in that moment that a police person, a policeman should show up to that, to that situation? Or do you think someone that is trained to deal with people with mental, dis mental disabilities should show up? And he was like, oh, well, the person that, that knows how to deal with mental disabilities. I said, that's what defund the police is trying to do. And he had no idea because he's, he didn't have those conversations with people because they hear the phrase, which is terrible marketing, and they don't want to talk. So my, and, and as much work as it takes, like you said, it's emotional labor. It takes a lot of time. It is important for me to make sure people understand and don't get caught up in semantics, but actually do the research. And I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm exhausted of talking to people. I will talk to people all day long because I want people to understand. I want there to be unity. I want there to be understanding. I, and I, I understand the people that don't want to do that. I'm not saying that people need to try to, you know, have those conversations. If you're exhausted, don't talk. I get it. It takes a lot of work and takes a lot out of you. So in that moment, it made me realize even more. So it's like so many people just don't understand certain things about social justice, what Black Lives Matter is about, what people are fighting for. What do you know, if people would just sit down and talk and actually listen, we would probably get a lot further and also we would realize that some of us want the same things as you mentioned so that's been the hardest thing is really trying to break down certain phrases and slogans and movements for people so that they actually understand what the core of those movements are when i've talked to people about black lives matter it's like well all lives matter it's like i get that but if black lives matter don't matter, then the all lives matter don't. You know what I mean? So you ha all lives can't matter until the black ones do. And I said, did you know the disproportionate rates of incarceration for black people? Do you know that the reason there is more crime in black communities is because of poverty? Do you know the timeline of why so many black people are in poverty? So when you have to break down the timeline and literally go back all the way to slavery, because they say, oh, slavery happened so long ago. It's like, but you guys don't understand that there's residual effects of slavery happening in the black community, you know? So I'm I'm willing to do that education. I'm willing to have those conversations, but it's because people don't want to do the research themselves. But when you break it down for them, some people get it, some people don't. Some people, like I said, even with you know Christianity and their faith, they're just stuck in their ways. But when you really, really sit down and explain it to them, I've had a lot of, oh, I didn't know that. And that's, it's just the lack of knowledge and, and understanding and education. It is. And all that is out there for the taking. Yeah. It's not Google's as free. <laughs> it's if you want to know, if you want to learn, there's an endless supply yeah. of yeah. teachers and thinkers and leaders and resources. It's just a matter of want to. I remember when I first read the new Jim Crow, which Michelle Alexander's work, which was just a incredible data-driven, research-rich connection from slavery to mass incarceration, of course. Mm -hmm. And it was like the real history of the United States, not the one that I had in my public school in Kansas. Yeah. And I think that was one of the earlier moments where I just realized that we're dealing so often right now in hyperbole, misinformation, catchphrases, 
that lacks me that lack meaning or that mm-hmm. people don't know how to bring meaning to it. Or yes. this community says that black lives matter is essentially the same thing as Antifa, which they also don't understand. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. None of those words really mean anything, mean right, anything but right. It has a feeling to it that gets just ba- bandied around. Right. And so then yeah. it's, it's this barrier between truth and a genuine conversation with words that mean something. And so it, this is work. It's work. And only people of privilege don't have to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They got to opt I, in. Yeah. And I've challenged some people on other people's threads that have made comments about Black Lives Matter and, you know, well, why don't they go into their own communities and help? And I said, have you ever thought about volunteering? Have you ever thought about going into the inner cities and and helping and bringing arts programs to the kids so that they don't think that their only options are going into crime? I get crickets, obviously. But when I approach things like that, I hope, I pray and hope that I give them something to think about. Because I got to tell you, going to Kenya on a missions trip is not productive. It's not. You need to go and go to your neighbor, love your neighbor, your literal neighbor, and help them. If you truly believe in equality, which you say you do, if you truly believe that you want to help people, if you truly believe that all lives do matter, go help the lives that need it. Mm. And everybody's like, anyway, got to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been great. literally what they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that or the, I just get ghosted usually. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Of course. It's, it's, it's way less taxing to just fight on the internet, right? With just our thumbs, our thumbs and our opinions, as you said, what are you finding out there in your community under the umbrella of your leadership currently? Because this in our time has, it's evolving super, 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 super fast. What are you finding around the LGBTQ community and a sense of also that's my neighbor. That is my neighbor. I love that person made in the image of God. You know, our faith gives us everything we need here. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it's used as a weapon, as a bludgeon, Always. but our faith actually gives us every solid piece of ground to stand on when it comes to loving our neighbor well. So I'm curious what you see, what you hear, yeah. what you've been observing around that that community and that, that conversation. Yeah, you know, I... One, I've been very lucky to be a part of progressive church communities that are very affirming, very accepting and welcoming. And, you know, the church that I lead worship at in LA called Harmony Toluca Lake puts an emphasis on making sure that community feels welcome and safe. But I would say, especially in my time in college, it was very much, you know, the whole love the sinner, not hate the sin. Yeah, of course. Uh, rhetoric, which we, which we hear often, which... Uh, it's I, devastating. I, I hate it. I hate yeah. that phrase. It's, it's like, devastating. no, it's, that's not. But a lot of the questions that I asked regarding right that is like, well, if you say that God makes no mistakes, then why wouldn't you think that this would be who this person is, you know? And another, I, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a viral video that has gone around that says that this guy goes around asking people, oh, you know, are you gay or straight? And they're like, I'm straight. It's like, oh, when did you choose to be straight? And they stop in their tracks and they're like, I never thought of it that way. And I love that because it truly shows that we just are who we are and we're born the way that we are. And because if you also think about it, and even in my conversations with my friends in the LGBTQ community, it's like, why would I choose to be a part of a group that is continuously marginalized, has rights taken away, and is constantly being told I'm going to hell. Why would I choose that? You know, that's what my friends always say. And it makes so much sense. Like, why would you actively choose to be in that group? Like, it's not fun. It's not fun to have to defend your identity 24-7 to try to get people to just accept you for who you are because of who you love, you know? And it, it, it breaks my heart. And, you know, even seeing things during Pride Month and, and how people respond, you know, oh, why why do they get a, a whole month? Why don't we have this? Why is there no straight Pride Month? It's like the, the amount of ignorance and just hate when you could just let people be who they are and love them. It's so much simpler to just allow people to live their own lives. Mm, totally. Takes, to me, it takes so much effort to seek people out 
and tell them what they're doing is wrong and tell them that their life they're leading is terrible. Like that's so much effort. You could actually be productive elsewhere. You could put your effort into helping people, into loving people. It's crazy what people choose to do with their time. It's <laughs> a really um, great point. It's just, it's crazy to me. You know, it's like, get a hobby. Like this, should, this is apparently is your hobby, but get a different one. So it breaks my heart because I always, from my faith journey and my stance, I always want my LGBTQ brothers and sisters to know that they are loved, they are beautiful, and that they should be happy with who they are and they shouldn't have to defend it, you know? And also just being a black woman, being in, in another marginalized group, my empathy is natural. Of you know course I mean? it is. Yeah. So I, I get it. I get the struggle. It's clearly a different one, but I get it. So I, it's hard to say just like what I've heard because there's so much that I've heard, but at the end of the day, I, I just wish people would allow people to just live their lives. Me too. Me too. You are probably blessedly shielded from this because of your personal faith community and kind of what you've grown up in, where you are now. But the Southern Baptist Convention right now is about to convene for their annual whatever. Mm. The amount of energy, I'm going back to your earlier point, like what could you be doing with this time? <laughs> the amount of energy that they are expending criticizing and debunking critical race theory and the, the lived experience of sexual abuse victims mm. and what justice should look like inside the church structure when the church is the scene of the crime. It's, it's literally unbelievable how much energy is going into protecting power protecting position, protecting abusers, protecting white supremacy. Yeah. And I just, I was reading on it yesterday because that was my, come up, I, I came up through the Southern Baptist world and just thought, what could everybody be doing with all this time and energy? Like you could actually be good news to the world. Like Jesus was fond of saying like that, that could be the, a different outcome here. And it's sad. And it feels, for me, I, I go through seasons of despair. Where do you fall on the optimism spectrum, optimism, pessimism spectrum? Because obviously we are coming out of a political season where evangelicals got it wrong. Yeah. They got it real wrong and they're still getting it wrong. They are a reliable partner in racism, in misogyny in white supremacy, a reliable partner. Yeah, no, it's funny you asked that because I actually, I'm releasing a song in the next month called God and His Gun. And it's, it's, it's everything that needs to be said. But yeah, I get it. And it, just with the title. I just get with it. the title, right? Yep. It blows my mind the amount of excuses that are made for clear behavior that is unchristlike. Uh, it's shocking. I just, I don't get it. Like, I don't either. We, I, I joke about the whole, what would Jesus do bracelets? But literally, literally, what do you think Jesus would actually do here? You know, right now in, in 2021, when it comes to evangelicals and politics, I think the hardest thing for me is that, and you know, you, you've been talking about, you know, basically kind of sweeping under the rug, uh, sexual abuse and all of that. It's the invalidation of personal experiences that gets me rather than finding ways to comfort and heal. There's no attempts at trying to heal. There's always attempts to protect, but the wrong people. That's right. And that is what drives me crazy when it comes to the intersection of, of of religion and politics is that you're focusing on the wrong things you're protecting the wrong people you're uplifting clear people that are opposite of everything that christ stood for so i don't know and i i always ask the question i do not understand how christianity and being a, a republican how they became one and the same I, I, I tried, I'm looking at timelines and you can see a, a little bit of it, but I'm just like, how did these two become synonymous? You know, it, it, it blows my mind because at the end of the day, none of it makes sense. It just, it doesn't make sense. I mean, when you look at the, when you look at the Republican party and you look at conservative Christianity, excuse me, when you look at conservative Christianity, you see that it stands for anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ, pro-gun, 
anti-BLM. Yeah. Anti-social justice as a whole. Anti-social justice. Right? Pro-individual pro rights. <laughs> and pro, yeah, pro-self-freedom. Yeah. Pro-freedom. Pro right? Only in some that. categories. Only in right. some. Yeah. That's, it's confusing. It's so confusing. Yeah. And I don't know how we got to this point. And I, when you asked me about my optimism, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know no, either. Because I, I have a very good pastor friend. His name's John Pavlovitz. I don't know if you, you, I you do. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Very good friend of mine. And, and, you know, we say often like, gosh, we need another name, not to say Christian, like we need another name yeah. because unfortunately, yeah. saying you are a Christian, it is tainted with so much negativity nowadays. Totally. And I hate that. I just introduced myself to somebody last week and I don't remember why something, the question came to me, something about faith. And I said, yes, I'm a Christian, but not the weird kind. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to do. We need a new name. So call me if you come up with it and give it to me. <laughs> and you know, it's funny as, yeah. as a black woman, I feel like there's already so much of my identity and, and my existence that I have to defend. Yeah. Right. Now I have to throw in my faith into Gosh. the mix and it's totally. exhausting. Yeah, it is. It's exhausting, you it know, is. because I'm also defending why I choose to believe something that essentially has been rooted in white supremacy. But I'm like, no, this is what I believe. Yeah. This was changed to be rooted in white supremacy. That That's actually right. isn't the origin of what it is. If you look at what Jesus said and how Jesus looked, I mean, he was was a person of color in the Middle East. You know what I mean? He was a Jewish man, a dark-skinned Jewish man, you know? So, which is, that's another conversation. But yeah, in terms of optimism, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had a, a better answer for you on that because it's gotten to a point that I didn't think it would get to. Me too. Yeah, me too. There's a division between this whole group and there's this top half that I find willing to talk willing to listen that yeah. there's some there's some space there to connect there's there's possibility with that group of people to kind of go back and forth and really hear one another out and there's growth possible and then this bottom half when i find myself spending my the majority of my energy there my hope just drops mm. which this is very immovable very inflexible yeah i would say unreasonable and kind of rooted in fear slash oppression. <laughs> and so when I can divide the group into the top and the, bo the bottom half, and I guess move with the movers a little, yeah. move with the movers where I find still some humility and uh, some gentleness and Christ-likeness and, and, and really just a sense of wanting to obey God, which if that's sincere, there's room there. Yeah. Right. If what we want to do is obey and please God, then there is room for all kinds of love and joy and hope. And when I do the bottom 50, I just, that's when I just go off the rails. Yeah. I just go off the rails. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. And it's interesting you bring up fear and oppression because ironically with the expression of them feeling marginalized and feeling as if they're being oppressed, they're not understanding how the rest of the country feels and has felt for so long. So you would think that empathy would come into play like, oh, this is how this community has always felt. I get it now, but it doesn't happen that often. And I wish it would. I wish that light bulb would just click, you know? I know <laughs> that is a very effective tool to make people believe that they are at the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. And that level of like fear and loss of privilege is super powerful. I mean, it has, we've seen it. It can mobilize an entire identified people group. And so I have to be really cognizant of that in my own life too, knowing that all ideologies have ways to keep their members committed for sure. Including my own. Yes. <laughs> including my own. And absolutely. so I do try to hang on to a sense of humility to always examine what I think and why. If I am consistently hearing from trusted voices, and for me, trusted voices are those that are primarily on the margins, a different perspective, they win. They win. I default. Beloveds, I talk about my therapist, Carissa, a lot, but what you may not realize is that I meet with her online because we are nowhere close in zip codes. It's just how it is. And I have to say this, 
online counseling just works so well for me. It always has. I love it because I can do it from literally anywhere. I just open my laptop or hop on the phone and boom. It's one of the many reasons I'm such a proponent of BetterHelp because it's all virtual and so accessible. Undoubtedly, I am at my own best when I stay committed to my regular therapy sessions because even the good or bright or delightfully carefree times need attention too, not just the darker hibernation times. BetterHelp is professional therapy that is fully virtual and online. Their licensed counselors have a broad range of expertise categories, specializing in everything from depression and stress and anxiety to relationships, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBTQ issues, grief, self-esteem, more, you name it. You can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly videos or phone sessions. BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. That's why they also make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. I cannot encourage you more in this for whatever good, bad, hard, or ugly thing you are walking through. As a listener... You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash for the love. Join more than 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. I want to ask you this before we start wrapping this up. Because your work with your awesome podcast, you are, you and I both know this as podcast hosts, we get to meet incredible people. Mm-hmm. That is a definite plus to our work is getting to sit across from other fascinating folks living their lives in the world in ways that are meaningful. Who are you, who are you meeting right now? Who are you listening to right now? Who are you paying attention to that you think the rest of us should be putting on our radar? Like these yeah. are, these are some good voices. For sure. There are two specifically that come to mind. Um, One, his name is Frederick Joseph, a very good friend of mine. He's an author. He has a New York Times bestselling book called The Black Friend. And the book really approaches breaking down racism and how to become truly an anti-racist, not just someone that's not racist, but be anti-racist in a very um, welcoming, meet you where you're at, comforting way. So I, I I know a lot of people feel like those conversations are uncomfortable and they are and they can be. And so I would suggest starting at this point, if you want to learn and you want to figure out, well, I know I'm not racist, but like, I don't know how I can help or what I can do. I feel like this book is such such a good starting point for so many people because it's funny also like he writes it in such a like lighthearted way that it makes you feel comfortable if you're naturally uncomfortable with those conversations and then someone who's doing really great work in terms of diversity inclusion and social justice within the workplace she does like workshops and stuff for companies that are trying to figure out how to have those conversations to do diversity inclusion her name is jamira burley and just the work that she does what she posts on her social accounts she's constantly educating people because she's like me or she's not exhausted from having those conversations and she's willing to to do the work so jamira burley and frederick joseph both great friends of mine very strong voices that everybody should be following and listening to i'm literally like looking them up on my phone right this very <laughs> second i'm not even waiting okay perfect thank you for those awesome recommendations oh okay melinda okay at the end of each interview inside the flipping the script series we're asking our guests these questions so kind of just like top of your head when it comes to this idea of flipping something, turning it over in some way, what do you think, if you do, it can be beneficial to head down some new paths sometimes, whether it's career or lifestyle or beliefs or ways of thinking, whatever it may be, what's the upside here? Growth. If you want to grow as a human being, you can't stay in the same place. You know, and I think that somebody pointed out to me that that's the difference between progressive and conservative. Progressives want to progress. Conservatives want to conserve what they have and keep everything the same. So if you want to grow as a human and you want to continue to be better, then 
you have to start taking that step. No matter what the change, it doesn't even have to be like that big of a sure. change. Sure, it could be little. It could yeah. be ti- absolutely tiny, but we can't stay in the same place if, if we want to grow and continue to be the best version of ourselves. Because there could be parts of you that you have no idea even exist because you've been too afraid to, to move forward or try something different. And I think that that's what's so important. Is like, I'm the type of person, I never want to be the same person. I don't even want to be the same person every day. So try to do something that will allow you to grow in who you are. That's so great. And it's, we're having to work against our own brain chemistry because brain science tells us that what our bodies prefer is homeostasis. Mm -hmm. We prefer same. We prefer familiar, even if it's oppressive, it's just what we know. So we really have to jump the shark in our own like internal wiring to prefer growth, but it does wear a new groove. Once you begin, once you start that cycle, it's easier to continue. And so I love growth. It's a simple and correct. I love that answer. Okay. Next. What do you say to somebody who might question, criticize when we have flipped the script in our own lives, because to them, it may seem jarring or impractical or absurd or scary. And which is true for the same reason that we prefer homeostasis in our own life. We'd like it in other people's too. It's our natural preference for nobody else to change either. Mm -hmm. And so what is a generous response to people who love us? Let's just go ahead and offer that them that benefit of the doubt and say, I don't like this new thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because I have had a lot of people say like, oh, are you, are you not singing anymore? Like, why aren't you da 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 right? I have my voice. God didn't take it away from me. I will always sing. But for me, I feel that God is pulling me in this direction with having these conversations and doing the podcast and doing the other projects that I have that are amplifying other people's voices because I think my voice is stronger in that way. I think my voice is is growing in that way and my voice is being used in that way. So for me, this is where my life and how I feel I'm going to succeed and be happiest. So that's just what I say. Like, this is just what my path is right now. And this is where God's leading me. Who can argue with that? They cannot <laughs> exactly. argue with it. That's unimpeachable. <laughs> that's a perfect answer. Okay. Here's the last question. And I ask every single guest in every single series, this final question, and you can answer it however you would like. It comes from Barbara Brown Taylor, who's an Episcopal priest. And she said, what is saving your life right now? That's such a great question. It almost makes me want to cry, but my daughter is truly saving my life because, Oh, I didn't want to cry. I was going to get emotional. (laughs) Okay. I want to create a world where she doesn't have to experience what my mom did or what I have experienced. And, you know, even though she is biracial, she is a black woman, you know, in the eyes of the world. Oh, gosh. And so everything that I'm doing is truly for her because I want her to to not be looked at and judged and I want her to look at me also and be proud of the work that I did to ensure that the life that she is living is the one that is fulfilled and one that makes her happy and one where she doesn't have to just go through all of this crap for lack of a better word you know I want her to live a life that is full of diversity and full of love. And so she is truly saving my life. And she has been a big reason why my career trajectory has shifted. Of course, it's been me and God fighting <laughs> a course. lot, you know. Uh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I big love that. Thank you. That's Thank incredible. You. I cannot Thank wait you. to see what you do next, Thank you. Um, where your work leads you and who it leads you to and who comes to you. It's going to be really exciting to watch. I am listening. I, for one, am listening. And now, of course, my community is listening. And so thank you for being who you are in the world. Thank you for being willing to grow and shift and lead and educate and engage at a really high level really the stuff that matters most. Before we sign off, can you just tell my community where they can find you and your work? Absolutely. So you can go to melindahale.com and also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, just Melinda Hale. There's only one me, so it's very easy to find. Uh, everybody, her her name Melinda is with a Y. That's how yes, you know. Yes, how you know yes, you yes. have found the right Melinda. Okay. <laughs> I'm so happy to have met you. I would me love too. to meet you in person now that yes. the world is going back. 
Yes, absolutely. And so thank you for your time today. And I'm just cheering you on in every possible way. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. Okay. She's a dynamic leader and lovely and warm and smart and the, my favorite kind of a person. I'm really excited to watch her continue to lead and grow, to watch her star rise, because these are the kind of leaders we need. And so guys go over to all her socials and follow her, get a load of her work. If you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, everything about this episode will be there. The show notes, links to Melinda's socials and her book and her work. So that can be just where you find all things Melinda Hale. We'll have that in one place for you. All we ever want to do is bring you bring you the best conversations that matter, that mean something, that are entertaining, that are in a, that are important guests that we want you to know and to follow and to learn from. And so thank you for subscribing and rating and reviewing the show. Thank you to the 30 million plus downloads over, you know, all these episodes. It's an incredible community. And I feel so honored and humble to get to serve you like this. So on behalf of Laura and her crew and Amanda and I, thank you for coming here week in and week out. You guys flipping the script is going to be an incredible series. Don't miss it. We have wrangled some of the best folks, people who are turning things on their heads. They're striking out in a new way. They are reimagining careers and ideas and spaces. And it's exciting. Like this is a really exciting, energized series. So see you next week. Don't miss it. Have a great one, guys.